Hello and welcome to another edition of Podcasting is Praxis. We are, of course, live together in the Podcasting is Praxis home office. We all made the trek um, in public transport. We coughed on some old people. So tonight I am joined by James. Hello, I'm the original one. And Alistair. Hi. Yeah, I didn't. Re- I didn't realize we were cops now, uh, or border cops specifically, and uh, very much enjoying recording this for the first time. Definitely. <laughs> and we have a very special guest, uh, Mick Wright, aka Broken Bottle Boy. What's up, Mick? Hello. I am the entirely new guest, saying entirely new things on an entirely new episode. Yes, it's a brand shiny new episode full of actually mostly new content. Um, yeah, that's well, true. at least for the people listening. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, First off, I just wanted to take a second to laugh at Matt Chorley and his little not-serious contest um, online. Uh, the poll about the best PM that never was, uh, which caught all the usual suspects uh, with their pants down saying how much they were not mad not mad, and how much they were just laughing, laughing all the way. I really, I, uh, there was one thing that I really liked about it. I can't, I can't remember who tweeted this, but they basically said that it's emblematic of pretty much the entirety of liberal politics. It's uh, you know, this idea that politics was fun until the left turned up and ruined it all for everyone. <laughs> I think it was Dan Hodges who literally said, I wouldn't think it was rigged if my candidate won. Yeah, yeah, Ho- yeah, yeah. Hodges, the fact that Hodges thinks it's rigged, you can't, how we how did we rig it? Like I was I was I was listening <laughs> well, voting to, for it. We voted. I was listening to <laughs> the lit. show and and like I'm one of the few Times Radio listeners and purely you because listen to Times Radio, that's a cursed thing to do. Purely because I run this media criticism newsletter, right? So I listen and read to some of the most disgusting stuff in the world. It's like being a nuclear waste specialist, right? I have to go into <laughs> places that you would just not even want to, but I've got the tolerance to do it. And I and I and I just thought to myself, I just was pushing everyone, going, "Yeah, come on, let's vote for Corbyn because it's really going to annoy them, right?" And and keeping people updated on what he was saying on the show. But how could we rig it? It was a public Twitter poll. It wasn't rigged. We just voted for our candidate. We we deployed the secret po- podcasting is praxis bot network that we've installed on every single follower of ours on Twitter. Incredible so- scenes. <laughs> Which I also I like. I really don't understand. I can't remember if it was you, Mick, who made this this point. But like between Dan Hodges and all the other people who sort of ended up wailing about this stuff, it's like if the bunch of you had done the same, and they have like fifty thousand, a hundred thousand followers on Twitter, like they could have done what we did. It was woke like Bane. The four of them. Woke Bane said that. I just oh, Jeremy it. Corbyn's wife. Oh yeah, yeah, she would be behind <laughs> it. I think. Yeah, <laughs> that's oh, it's just layers upon layers of insanity. Like I don't, I don't know why I'm on Twitter. It's just, it's just brain poison at because, this point. Because it is layers upon layers of insanity, and you like it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, much like getting punched in the face, you just get used to it after a while. Well, it's like that thing when people say, you know, don't argue with a pig. Um, you both get covered in mud, and the pig likes it. We are the pig. It's fine. <laughs> I'm happy. We're I'm all filthy like... hogs. Yeah, <laughs> rolling around in the dirt hogs. Just, just oinking around in the mentions. Um, but yeah, last bit, and then we get off of weird Twitter shit. But I, I, Extinction Rebellion really continues to uh, excel in just being the worst type of middle class bird, <coughs> bird brained organization possible. Um, with yesterday's highlight, where somebody on their account tweeted, 
Just so we're clear, we are not a socialist movement. We do not trust any single ideology. We trust people chosen by sortition, to, like jury service, to find the best future for us all through a citizens' assembly. A banner saying socialism or extinction does not represent us. Can I go hugely black pill about this? <laughs> well, yeah, we, we live we live for black pilling. Let's go <laughs> yes. for it. After 2019, this is the black pill universe. <clears throat> so during during the 80s, 70s, 80s, right, 60s, 70s, 80s, we all know this. There are lots of like pseudo left wing um, and like and pseudo communist groups and magazines and arts magazines and stuff that were just all CIA and MI6 like funded things, right? I'm more and more certain that if Extinction Rebellion, I think, formed kind of organically, but now is basically just full of um, infiltrator oh, assets. Yes. And, that, and so stuff like that, it's just like the whole thing. And then when they went to Cambridge in like the front lawn of a college, right, for no particular reason, it, <laughs> it made no sense. I'm just like, that is the kind of thing that an MI6 asset would go, that's a great idea, let's do that, because that'll make us look completely... Yeah, yeah. No, I'm I'm convinced that that thing they did, uh, what was it last year, where they glued themselves to a tube station or something? Yeah, like which only inconvenienced low-paid workers trying to get to work. Yeah, and also on public transport, which is where you will fucking want everybody in the first place. Yeah, yeah, that was my yeah. <laughs> let's. No, I'm convinced let's... <laughs> that that one. I'm convinced that that was like either one of the security services or like private security hired by one of the big oil companies to discredit them or something but like i'm convinced that that one was not on the level i feel like they are, as if they if they are a legitimate movement they are the makes you think of political movements it's they, just like, okay. they are they might as well be run by led by donkeys like but oh just put God, led by donkeys the political wing of led by donkeys oh <laughs> i've started my own version of led by donkeys now which is called fucked by donkeys and uh, it's just it's just the same but worse so is it is it an OnlyFans account? Really? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's 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 um CGI created um versions of those ad men just being absolutely reamed by donkeys. <laughs> okay. okay then. <laughs> Join us on Second Life. Um <laughs> moving insufficiently swiftly on. <laughs> yeah. no, but it's it only gonna amazing. get worse it's than like... this. Oh I'm sure, I'm sure. Yeah, I've been, I've been saying that for years. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I don't know, with Hussein Kasvani, we were talking about clipboards at sex orgies at some point, so, you know, swings and roundabouts. <laughs> Hi, um, this is Rob, the editor. We are doing a quick little interstitial with John, who's our local tenancy Sherpa, as a couple of weeks ago the ban on rental evictions was extended, and we thought that'd be of interesting, uh, well, that'd be interesting to a lot of listeners so uh john absolutely yeah so it has been an interesting couple of weeks for those in the rental sector um so landlords across the country were eagerly awaiting the 24th of august when eviction hearings were going to begin again then uh, basically in the 11th hour uh, robert jenrick uh, scuppered those plans by putting an extension on all eviction hearings uh, for another four weeks uh, so now as it stands the courts are due to come back on the 20th of september instead uh, however, there was also another little tidbit in that same announcement. Uh, Mr. Jenwick told everyone that he would also be extending the minimum notice on the Section 21 notice. Now, this is more commonly known to everyone as the no-fault notice, uh, and that he would be extending that notice to six months. Uh, this would be enforced until at least the 31st of March 2021. Now, prior to all this uh, COVID situation, uh, the notice on the no-fault notice was uh, just mere two months. The government extended that notice to three months uh, when they started uh, with the whole COVID thing. 
All right, so just so I'm clear, um, a 21 notice and no fault, no fault. This is the one where your landlord can just kick you out for no good reason at all. Um, previously, you were just given three months to find a new place, and now it's six. That's right. So, yeah, the Section 21, uh, you can be evicted for any reason whatsoever. Um, so, as you can imagine, uh, this has certainly ruffled a few feathers in the landlording community. Uh, got landlords... I know. Uh, but you've got landlords across the country wondering if they're ever going to be able to evict a tenant again. Um, now, one thing is it has been known that there were a wave of no-fault notices being sent out while the notice period was still three months. Uh, now, these notices are not affected in any way by this new ruling, and that three-month notice period would still apply. Uh, now, one thing that does concern me is that there are some tenants that might be having financial difficulties at present and have been unable to pay their rent. This then brings in the problem of costs. Uh, so when the eviction stay finally ends, uh, a tenant may find that there are additional expenses that have been racked up in these preceding months. So what kind of expenses are we talking about? Well, a tenant is still legally required to pay any outstanding debts. Uh, a landlord can add late payment charges uh, to any amount outstanding. And then if the landlord should try and obtain a county court judgment, you could have the court fees added to that amount as well. One thing I do want to point out about this uh, statement, that it does only relate to England. Now, Wales has already increased the notice period to six months. They did that earlier in August. Scotland mostly removed the no-fault notice uh, a couple of years ago. Um, the only reasons that they can evict you now is for very specific reasons, which is like the landlord wanting to move back into the home or wanting to sell the property. Um, however, Nicola Sturgeon has recently said that they are looking to, again, Stop all evictions uh, until at least the 31st of March 2021 for any reason. Uh, all right, so what happens now? So the announcement's been made. Um, something's happened in Parliament. What's up? Well, it didn't need an act of Parliament to do this. Um, the government were able to make this amendment uh, be a statutory instrument under the Coronavirus Act. Uh, the detail of this is basically that any no-fault notice received between now and the 31st of March 2021 must be a minimum of six months' notice. Anything less than that, it invalidates the no-fault notice. Now, there is also discussion that this might be a prelude to the government scrapping the no-fault notice eviction notice altogether. Alright, so if I get this right, any eviction notice that's currently in the works or has already been issued may need to be like fully redone from scratch because they're also... Time, these these notices themselves are limited to, to time limited to six months, and a lot of them will have elapsed or will elapse soon due to the longer eviction ban. It's a bit of a weird one, but uh, part of it will depend on whether the landlord had already taken the eviction to court prior to the court dates being cancelled. Now, if they had applied to the court, then the landlord would be able to apply for a reactivation notice once the stay is lifted. However, as you say, no-fault notices do need to be taken to court within six months after the issuances of the notice. Now, the same statutory instrument, uh, the one that they increased to uh, six months, they also increased the time that a landlord can take the issue to court to 10 months. So basically meaning that once the initial six months notice period is up, the landlord then has a further four months in which to refer the matter to court, else the notice becomes invalid. Now, it will be interesting to see how this goes, and I'll be keeping an eye on all Tennessee matters during the oncoming months and uh, look to advise on other topics in the rental world. Um, one thing I did want to note, uh, if you have any tenancy issues, uh, please do get in contact with Shelter. Now, they've got many trained advisors able to assist with any query. Uh, you can find them on the website at shelter.org.uk or by telephone on 0808 800 
All right, cool, John. Uh, thank you for joining us here in Parasite's Corner. And now You're back welcome. to our regu regularly scheduled program. Goodbye. Bye-bye. But yeah, I mean, the, but genuinely sort of the more terrifying spectacle this week. Um, but in also, I think, in like a sort of medium-sized good way, because you could see sort of the, the scratching of the desperate rats is like this full-on, full-throated yell of all the papers and all the morons that we should all uh, go back to the office. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think the really cool thing about this is it's this is this is like we're in the middle of like a sea change of how, uh, you know, how business perceives like the... Um, corporate rental sector which is like it's it's just it's not nothing's going back to the way it was no matter how much john rental 400 year old ghoul uh <laughs> wants it to stay this way because it was ever thus you know um he wishes he was 400 years yeah <laughs> I, it, it, he's he's more like a thousand you know yeah, young like, and spry 400 yeah <laughs> yeah like i or actually i think that john rental was the shadow that plato saw in the cave and he's just like <laughs> and the dark movement across the like in all human history general john rental has been present causing you know maleficent you know malig malignancy yeah his answer to people when they said john your your column doesn't make any sense why should we get back into the offices he just goes yeah that's just the way it is that's just, if it wasn't the most efficient way to uh work why would people keep doing it <laughs> what are you what are you talking about this makes no sense Yes, because as as we all know that all businesses and you know just culturally we are, as a species are inclined to always do the most efficient and pragmatic thing, regardless of cost. <laughs> Plus, I re I distinctly remember from my um, history school books is that when they did the careful excavations at Scarab Bray, they also found a pre uh, a, a Stone Age office. <laughs> yeah, just people in cubicles, like they, they they made really very impractical for them to carve out from stone cubicles. That's what they did. And, gets, um, gets the job done. Yeah, and and you know that that's true because we have um, f like uh, a lot of evidence. If you've watched the Flintstones, entirely historically accurate. Yeah, so, yeah, exactly. Yes. <laughs> well known no, but, prehistoric but, documentary. But I mean, there is like a serious point as well, which is that this is essentially a po a push by by the owners and their mates to get you back in the office because, uh, as you were saying earlier, this is about office rents. This is about the giant pyramid of commercial property in the sense but do you know what it's even more about though and I, I was talking to someone who is oddly both extremely left-wing and works um quite high up in one of the banks um i don't know why he can't just destroy it sort of bane style get in there and destroy <laughs> it but um actually what this is about is pension funds pension funds have huge exposure in um, commercial, in, in, in commercial property yeah, yeah, yeah. and they can't shift their exposure in that quick enough what the government really doesn't want is for the pension funds to crash because that is then you get middle class yeah, anarchy yeah, yeah, yeah. it's a secondary thing there's, this, there's like a whole story as well somewhere kicking around which is going to be part of whatever next economic crisis collapses on our fucking heads but there's, there's this whole world of um, real estate investment trusts which are like these sort of separate companies that uh, can be set up and then invest in real estate, buy real estate, and it's all like money from pension funds and investment banks and, and private equity and all the usual stuff. And apparently they've like been going on fucking tilt in the US already. 
Yeah, they have. And then one of the, uh, basically, look, they are going to be the subprime mortgages of this crisis. Yeah. But the other thing that's really interesting, though, is if you talk to I have, again, a couple of, I live in Limehouse and I, I know a few people here who obviously work in Canary Wharf. Most of the big American businesses are saying you're not going to be back in this year. Maybe you don't go back in at all. Maybe we never have an office again. Yeah, I know, I know someone who works in Canary Wharf, and he's uh, he's not going to be going in till like early spring, well, spring next year. They can't make and... the lifts work. They're not big yeah. enough. It doesn't work. Those buildings were not built to work in the. You know, they made them tightly packed. So you yeah, can't, so they it won't yeah, work. They scoot you in like cattle, don't they? Like that's that's just what they're designed to do. And like doing that and socially well, distanced. I mean, <laughs> and even luck. when there's a even when there's a vaccine or something at some point, like. Even these companies, because they are, are all greedy bastards, are just going to go, wait, what if we just have everybody work from home? We buy everybody a nice desk chair to do that. And then we, you know, we downsize to something half or a quarter of the size and we just have a bunch of meeting rooms. You know, it is, that is just fundamentally cheaper for most corporations. I think the future of the office is something like a meeting hub. You yeah, know, yeah. like which which a we work, yeah, which <laughs> yeah, we work. But like maybe you, they they own a floor of it, right? Because a lot yeah. of these companies don't want to have to have other people use their stuff occasionally, right? But they could still afford to own a whole floor, collaborate with other businesses to own a whole like a massive building, but it's just split amongst them. Yeah, it, it makes sense from a human capital thing or whatever, you know. I mean, it feels to me like the dam of middle management has been broken. You know, this idea that uh, you need to have uh, management leering over your shoulder to actually do your work. Um, that illusion has, to a more or lesser extent, been shattered and proven that, hey, people can actually do their jobs if, you know, it's still typical, comfortable, middle-class job, uh, probably yeah, capable of doing that from home. I prefer and... to call the middle management the overseers, and the overseer class yeah. is not happy now. Oh, God, they no. are going. They're the only psychos in like every opinion poll that I've seen on this is this thing, and all the people I've talked to. The only psychos who really want to be back in the office are the middle middle managers because they are missing their power trips and like bullying and proven that they don't actually do anything useful. Yeah, well, it, it like a lot of people haven't read David Graeber's shit jobs, and that's like really needs to be read by by anyone who cares about this stuff because yeah it's a good it's a good read it's just that fact of you know you there are we've created a, a we they have created an economy of make work jobs it's important for the work to take longer and have more layers to it because efficiency is not what they're looking for and you look at someone like rental writing this from his crypt going oh um yeah no we've made a very efficient economy the economy is not efficient at all and also, who gives a shit about efficiency as well? Uh, unless you're working, unless you're in a factory where efficiency is whatever, efficiency in knowledge work is not the thing that's uh, that's optimised for in any way. No. Yeah, I mean, and also, like, it depends on what you mean, like, how you define efficiency. Like, you could you can define efficiency by the amount of you know the number of uh, widgets that you're putting on a production line, or you could define efficiency by the number of hours it takes to do the jobs that you're, you know, that you're tasking your staff with doing. And if you can reduce the number of hours, in theory, and uh, have, like, you know, by proxy, have people come to the office less and work a shorter week, and you're still producing the same amount of, 
you know, production in the in the business factory you work in, then <laughs> like no skin, it should be no skin off anyone's nose. But because I mean, it, I mean, it's all ideological at the base of it. It's it's an ideological well, obsession that with and that and and what's now you know fortunately being roundly mocked, I think, by nearly everybody, is this whole sort of the thing that's going to collapse is the ancillary industries. I mean, we everybody's been joking about uh, prep naturally, but you know, as they should. But there's this whole ancillary industry of you know the suppliers and the pe- and and the little boots and the the overpriced sandwiches and all the other, and the coffees and all the other fucking bullshit. Where it's just like it would be so much genuinely better for the UK if, especially London, like if most of that giant sucking consumer uh, uh, commuter belt well, either dies or just hangs out where it is you know well, like do you, do you know one of the things that i i think is really interesting and it it, it says something a lot about my industry the the, the absolutely seeping sore that is the, the journalism industry is that i've seen quite a few journalists say stuff like yeah what should happen is there should be these vans right that go around and they can stop oh, yes, outside the, the offices mobile and, vans. Oh, and like, home vans oh wait no no we're talking and about the, something look, else these okay. are people who've <laughs> never worked on in i've worked on industrial estates right but of course those vans exist if you work on an industrial estate there's always like a food van that comes around opens up the side of it and sells like bacon sandwiches and yeah. tea and all that kind of stuff and in the some old, of them are good and some of them are really really shit questionable but in the 60s, 70s, 80s, right, before, like, Thatcherism destroyed any sense of, like, um, you know, class solidarity or solidarity amongst workers or anything that was good about working together, most offices had tea trolleys where people came round and, you know, at, at various times of the day and brought you food and drink and did things like this. And what happened in recent years is that's become this weird perk that they have at companies like Google where people go, wow, it's amazing. There's food and stuff in the office. Yeah, it used to be like that. It used to be like that. Companies and then it used was all to... economized away and now it's sold back. Exactly. Yeah. Companies used to feel that they had a responsibility. The ca- the Quakerish mentality of, say, a, a Cadbury's when that first started, you know, like there's various things you could say, well, starting a company town is not a good idea and whatever. But it is <laughs> interesting that offices used to you know, think we need to provide food. You know, we need to um, have a good environment here. And then that was th- that was Thatcherized away. And now people are going, oh, wouldn't it be good if we had that? And you go, we used to have that. <laughs> the place my dad used to work about 10 years ago had a free bar on, in the evening some week, um, so, several days a week with a paid barman and all that. And apparently they judged that if that stopped one person leaving a year, it paid for itself. Huh. Because it t- I mean, cost them that much to hire someone. It's it's really interesting how um when you actually start thinking about how how business operates and if you are gonna chase efficiency, then retention and like satisfaction of your employees actually tends to be quite an important factor and uh keeping, you know, knowledge and skills skill sets and all that kind of thing means that you are generally gonna be more productive and more profitable. But because we've just turned our economy into this completely insane beast that means that if you're from anywhere north of the Watford Gap, then it is you are destined to move to uh, the black hole that is London in order in search of good yeah. wages. Yeah. And you end up with just this completely depersonalized uh, experience in the job market where you just have to be completely mercenary in order to chase anything, anything resembling like decent living standards and decent wages. 
Like you just you just have to be like that. If you if you are if you are not a fucking boomer, that's just what, that's the yeah. job market now. I mean, you're, I mean, in, in sort of it, they've died down a little bit um, in in the last couple of months, obviously because of Corona. But like you remember in in the bef- the before time, they were constantly on like pa- in the papers and social media, like all these sort of like sort of name and shame ads for like. Uh, uh, an apartment in London, which was uh, a, a three square meter room with like the stove with your mattress literally just lying on top of it, going for nine hundred quid a week in Knightsbridge or something. Like, why the fuck do we want to go back to to, to that? Like, what what's the point? Um, yeah, but, I mean, the the big question mark of, over every all of this is why the fuck would anyone in their right mind with two brain cells to rub together move to London if they didn't have to? What, I, I, I wouldn't work in London if I didn't have to. Yeah, here's the thing as well, though. I, I think this won't happen, right? But this is what could happen. Is is Lond- I feel that London has been stolen by the super rich, right? It's yeah, been stolen. It, it, yeah. Root and branch, it was stolen. Because right now, I, you know, I live in Limehouse and I, I like it. And I'm actually probably going to move back to Norwich at some point relatively soon because it's where I grew up and it's a lot cheaper and it's a great city and it's quite a socialist city and whatever but anyway um I live basically in the graveyard of the of the British working class here one of the graveyards of the British working class you go around and there are wharfs and stuff that are named after the the things that used to be sold and moved around there right and and yeah I, I mean there's a lot of interesting things that could be said about the working class um move to Essex right they made some smart I, uh, decisions based on you know um murdoch came over here uh, uh, over into whopping inflated the prices here uh it made sense for people to move because they could go and get gardens and bigger houses and all this kind of stuff but beyond that past the 80s you know the saudis and the and the russians and uh, and, and you know qataris and whatever owning vast swathes of property that they never live in you know in the 70s we we had a we had the super tax to deal with stuff like that and it forced a lot of these rich people to go away and give up these properties. But of course, that's talked about by the media now as if it was an awful thing. But do you know what? One of the things I hate about the Rolling Stones is that they went out of the country for years because they went, oh, my, oh, we can't be paying 90% tax. But of course, it wasn't 90% tax on everything they earned. It was 90% tax, yeah, you yeah. know, on, over on many millions. Over, yeah. and, and graduated tax systems are something that the media never, never accept and talk about properly in the same way that they never talk about uh, the way that national debt works, because they want us to believe it's like a shopping basket and a credit card. It's just insane. So speak, speaking of um, now we're talking about London um, and the Rolling Stones, weirdly enough, slight tangent. Did you see that the Stones are opening a, a flagship store, I think, in Knightsbridge or something, where you can get all your... I, Rolling Stones merch? Stuff covered in tongues. Just yeah. really yeah, gorgeous say, stuff covered wait. in tongues. Can't wait to see more people wearing a shirt with that tongue on it. Cool. Fantastic. <laughs> Very emblematic. Um, I, I, I did briefly want to bring up, because he was on um, Sky this morning, uh, one of our mo- most successful um, secretaries of state of all time, Jeremy Hunt, um, was interviewed <laughs> about this whole business about people coming back. And he said, there's only so long you can work remotely before you lose the fizz and excitement that you get in a good workplace. 
Oh my god, these people are so fucking. What planet do some of these? I'm not. I mean, I'm I'm forever like going around in my own head about whether these people are genuinely this stupid or if they're just pretending to be. It is it is the eternal dichotomy that I cannot ever crack because this is a plainly idiotic thing to say, a completely out of touch perspective yeah. on a workplace that does not exist if you earn like no. quiz a, question same amount of money quiz question um what was the name of the company that made jeremy hunt 14.5 million pounds three years ago that he founded uh, it's a really a really bad company <laughs> name uh pop i've got no idea i, I just know. i just know that he's a, owns a massive uh, portfolio okay. of properties it, it was nay it was called hot courses and it was bought for 30 million quid by an Australian company. And Hot Courses, if you have a look online, you will find that working at Hot Courses, the people who had to work at Hot Courses uh, basically have suffered serious PTSD from working there. And there yeah, yeah. are numerous oh, things about how evil Mick, Hot this Courses is, were. This is amazing because this is what I've literally... Uh, I, someone dug this up and, and put it on, on Twitter. Uh, there was an article in a magazine called The Quietus a couple of years ago about the quietest the quietest quietest sorry um uh, about this exact topic this is amazing um i just like to charlotte I read you like just a little snip of what it is like to work for jeremy hunt uh and co oh my god I, c- I can only imagine it's somehow worse than i'm envisaging i'm just i'm just doing bit like i'm not won't read the whole thing um what made it the worst three years of my life was the working environment and the expectation put on the staff by mr hunt and other managers when deadlines approached, we were expected to work late into the night for no overtime or recompense. Rarely were we thanked for our labours. There was a general air that we should be grateful for the remarkable opportunity that his uh, that this endless admin offered. There was a certainly a different attitude towards employees who'd been to private schools or Oxbridge than the rest of us. So it goes on, blah, blah, blah. Um, and then here's the last bit I'll read to you. It was not a happy environment in which to work. One former colleague writes... For me, it was just the whole cumulative effect of all the insensitivity, arrogance, greed, and goggle-eyed sociopathy that did my my head in over two and a half years I worked there. Oh, sounds fizzy, doesn't it? So fizzy. Do you know what? That's that that sounds exactly like that um, fucking Führer bunker type picture that was posted of like Dominic Cummings. uh, I posted that. Yeah, yeah. his command center in the cabinet office. Oh my god. Like you could, you could not purposefully have made what looks like a more hostile workplace. <laughs> With him at the back in in a in, in what was described as core module, yeah, the core module, the central module where he would yeah, yeah, sit, yeah. like on the, the, on the raised days, yeah, like the raised days, just sitting looking. so he's looking over everyone's shoulder, looking at what they're doing. Yeah, I mean. Just like, of course, you want to go into the into the pleasure of going into Don Cummy's data cave every day. Like, I would cram myself onto uh, Elon Musk's hypertube to, to to do that. Yeah, and just just every wall with data on it, just because the data will tell him what he needs to know. We must <laughs> just, worship just the directly data. into the matrix. Just like, yeah, feed the raw data right into my eyes. <laughs> <laughs> I bet he does demand that it is old school green on black. Um, screens like just just data raw feeds get the raw feeds and he's yeah. there going yeah yeah I I've got all the inputs here like w- what Nathan Barley said you know self facilitating media node 
yeah, that is this. But I mean, it just this this move of putting everybody back in the office and then fucking Daily Mail out today with like a headline is like kids are back in school. Why aren't people back in the office? It's just wasn't like, a picture of their office, was it? Because I ju- I was talking to some, to some of my um the more leakier members of the Daily Mail family. Oh. Um, they, they, well, they, can, they, 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 communicate, they communicate purely in grunts and hoots, but luckily I can, I can translate that. And they were telling me that no one's in their office uh, and certainly none of the senior people. Remember that when Daycote was running the place, he was, he was taken by chauffeured car from his house oh, yeah, I to this. the under, underground garage. So he never put his foot outside the on the outside most days of the week yeah famously his shoes never touched anything never touched the ground yeah never touched anything but carpet so it's 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 important to know how very in touch the senior people at the daily mail are particularly you know their their great and powerful owner um jonathan harmsworth uh lord rothermere i mean I, i always find it uh one of one of those things it's just you know like is is there any anyone who's like uh, vaguely plugged into politics, I guess. Um, who doesn't understand that the Daily Mail is obviously blatantly hypocritical? Now, you know, the most of the most of the press, uh, pretty much all under this umbrella. But like, it's especially obvious to uh, at least to people on the left, I suppose. But uh, it's the Daily you know, Mail is an propaganda. angry comic. It's an angry comic. <laughs> Um, you know, I, again, I read it today for an analysis that I did of it, and one, like, I it it was one of its days where it was it is most entertaining because every page had something totally bizarre on it, including a story that claims that Martin Amos now believes that his father is Philip Larkin and not Kingsley Amos, which is just Martin Amos trying to sell a book, but it got a massive page lead in the in the mail because that's exactly the kind of thing the mail likes to do, which is that just imply that everyone but them is some kind of weird, mad adulterer. Well, I mean, it's I think projection is something that uh, from the right onto everyone else is something that we're intimately familiar with. Well, you know, there was always these things like in the past where when they've done when they've done um, tested for cocaine in the Daily Mail offices or the Times offices or any newspaper office, almost always very high levels are found, much higher than you'd find in in in, in control uh, samples from other offices around the country. So, but meanwhile, there's always war on drug stuff going on. You know, the media is a just damaged, diseased creature, and the office, this office thing, is just very representative. Of but that. are we are we are we going to get like some some shiny new? Uh, media soon with the Nigel the Farage, two new Darren Fox Grimes, News channels. Uh, is it one or two? I can't work this it's out. It's two. Because... It's two. For, um, News UK have a secret, not secret project running within their offices. That'll be the Farage one, and then Sir Robbie Gibb, um, badly boiled egg of um, government comms. Um, Theresa May's uh, piss. Um, has uh, has got a license for his channel, which is going to be called. Anyone know what it is? Because I because your guesses would be good if you don't know the answer. I can't remember which of the two is called which. One of them's well, I'll let someone guess first. Oh, it's not. It's one of them called like the real news. It, no, it sounds like something that Alan Moore would have put in V for Vendetta as a like very heavy-handed parody of what a fascist news network would be I, called. I genuinely don't know this. Is it something like 
news for Britain. Or it's Britain called for... GB News. Ah, <laughs> and oh, while talking extensively about how he despises wokists, he then went on to say, <laughs> and I say him, it said a source close to in the mail story, right? But I mean, it is him. There's no other sources close. It's just him. Um, <laughs> a source close to me, myself. <laughs> a, so- a source very close to me, inside me, the voice I hear in my own head, said, he said, um, yeah, uh, we're going to be um, balanced and fair in a way that the wokists at the BBC aren't. And, you thought, and I sort of thought to myself, said about how you hate wokists. So how balanced are you that you're going to have a plurality of views? Because I don't expect they're going to hire me. The BBC's not balanced either. <laughs> No, no, no. Oh, also, no. I can't get into this. I no, just, but here's, I'm no, so but he, sad. No, but here's the, here's the thing with this, right? Uh, the, I have had this argument with bullheaded, thick-necked, Malaga, you know, the people who ruin Malaga for, you know, like, Malaga's good, you go there and have a good time, but no, no, because if you have someone who just shouts racist epithets in a bar watching Tottenham when he could be in North London, Tottenham shouting racist epithets. Anyway, I've had this argument with people where they go, well, journalists should be and and I just have to say, what you want a journalist to be is clear and open about their biases. I write from a, well, I would say like classical Marxist perspective now, right? I didn't always, and certainly I was more centre when I was in my early 20s, say, because I hadn't thought about this stuff enough. But I'm, at this point, I write from a kind of Marxist, classical Marxist perspective, right? And everybody who reads me knows I do that because that's what I say, right? And I make it very clear what my positions are. So my readers are able to read the stuff I go and go, okay, this, that's what he thinks this because he says this is why he thinks this. That's all you can expect from journalists. You can't expect objectivity. No one is objective. You're not a kind of artificial intelligence that's been programmed by the thousand greatest minds, 500 from the left and 500 from the right to create a, a perfect objective bot. You know, it doesn't happen. So the notion of objectivity is just a lie. And I don't know why we keep doing it. And I don't know why people who write about journalism keep going, well, you know, the BBC needs to uh, be unbiased. It's like, well, it's impossible. You All you have to try to go for is a balance of bias. That's all you can have. I feel like I feel like I view, uh, you know, this idea of unbiasedness in the same lens that I view civility as it is, it is as ever just a cuddle to beat the left with. It is not something that is, it's not something that's, um, you know, it's not something that they want to be applied in good faith. They want want to use whatever tools that they're, they're well, there in this case. They being, want like... to be biased and they want us not to be. So it's okay for them to say things, you know, to imply, often imply that, for instance, if you're left wing, you hate Britain, right? Or that you you know, uh, advocate the death of children or whatever. They will say things that are truly disgusting about people. But if you say about them, uh, I think that your policies have led to the deaths of hundreds of people, and I can actually prove it. Here are the facts. Universal credit is is organised murder. They'll go, oh, wow, very very biased left-wing view there. They go, well, maybe reality just has a bias towards showing that right-wing policies tend to be pretty vicious. (laughs) <laughs> yeah facts tend to have a left-wing bias i i guess <laughs> i mean i suppose that's that's the rubber going down now i mean we f- it feels like i mean uh, t- i mean facts in and of themselves aren't necessarily a thing that even are something to be lauded because you know a fact is only as relevant as 
the sort of analysis you're trying to draw from it. If the fact is that there are people crossing the channel, then that's like that is that can be a fact in and of itself. But whether or not that's a good thing is based entirely upon the biases of the person reporting it. Yeah, people and... saying facts are neutral are just the dumbest people. Yeah, I mean, and also it's, it's yeah. impossible to make news. If I just if I made the news a, a dispassionate listing of things that had happened in the world that day, right? I literally just said Donald Trump made a speech today. Uh, a bus crashed. Boris Johnson uh, said the following things at PMQs. No one would watch, and it would teach and give anyone zero value. Analysis thing, I mean, is required. I know you're trying to like do a you know like an exaggerated example of what you would consider are supposed to be unbiased, but in and of itself, by select the selection of the things that are shown on well, the well, there's news. selection bias exactly. But so what I'm saying, even I can't even make an example that doesn't have bias. It, I mean, it's just it's uh, yeah, like like I say, it's just it's just a tool with which uh, a, a club to club the left over the head with, because because a, a black person is on TV and that that's an inherently bad thing, and there are people coming into the country and that's an inherently bad thing for reasons that we won't go into, and the idea that saying that these things aren't necessarily bad is yeah, that's that's your left wing bias showing, and we should uh, we should get rid of that. <sighs> Yeah, it, I, I'm just, it's so exasperating, just constant bad faith bullshit about how... And, and, and the trouble is now, what we've got, now that Tim Davey is the is the new BBC Director General, it's a huge problem because already, look, the, 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 they were able, in bad faith, to make out that Land of Hope and Glory and Royal Britannia weren't going to be played at the proms. But they were, that people just weren't going to sing them for reasons of, like, singing is, you know, it's an aerosol activity, so maybe we shouldn't do that during COVID times, right? But they made it, people like Darren Grimes, people like Nigel Farage, people about, like Douglas Murray, that that absolute fascist spent their time making out that it was about hatred for white people and that there was a foreigner who was saying she supported blm so this had happened none of which was true completely fabricated by the times and then spread everywhere else and yet and then tim davy went today and reversed that decision to make sure that um Yes, they will be sung at the proms because what he's trying to do is similarly saying, oh, we'll get more right wing comedians on as if any funny right wing comedians exist. Um, all he's he's a Tory. And he will be the last director general of the BBC. It will just be gone. Um, and well, like people could say fair enough because BBC News has been terrible and has has never been fair to the left, etc, etc. But it will just lose loads of things that are good. CBBS is good. Free, free, the free at the point of access children's programming is good. They still make some amazing, like short, short form drama of like three or four episodes. Yeah, they make a lot of good, good radio drama. They make a, they make some some good radio com comedy. Last year, Alexi Sale was allowed multiple episodes on Radio Four to make a very funny, very left wing show. So it is still possible. And mm. when the BBC is gone, it will never come back again. And so it's it, it's cultural vandalism. Yeah, I mean that Alexi Sales show is one of, is one of the few things I've actually listened to from the like you know uh, on the radio. I mean, to be fair, it was like digital radio, but like at the same time, uh, it's. I mean, the BBC being at this stage essentially a, a fucking propaganda arm for the Tory Party is, uh, I suppose, its own sort of. But that's BBC. But we, now, we really. have to say it's BBC News. Yeah, because yeah. because plenty because. If you look at BBC drama, 
right? It tends to skew towards diversity. It, it, it really works very hard to get more diverse casts. It tends to tell stories about different sexualities. Bloody Strictly, for instance, right? Which has got a first same-sex couple this year, right? In entertainment, in light entertainment and drama, the BBC is solidly left-wing. But unfortunately, in news, it has people like Nick Robinson, who was a, a, a young Tory. It has people like Laura Kingsburg, who um, will cozy up to anyone who's in power. If Labour got in power, uh, she would start cozying up to them. She just wants access. But BBC News is the problem. And unfortunately, BBC News is yoked to the rest of the BBC. And it is the flaming Zeppelin that will destroy the whole BBC. I thought I thought it was going to be the uh, singing of some songs uh, in Royal Albert Hall, but you know, swings and roundabouts. But let's not get say... let's not get into into that particular bit of despair because I just was... want to sort of say quickly, it's appropriate that you chose a, a Nazi ego project to use as an analogy. That's exactly why I did that. <laughs> <laughs> ah, man. Now, uh, shall we move on to um, the main event for this evening? Woohoo! Uh, <laughs> which is. Mm. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. Um, but yeah, so Britain has had what is it the worst what first first quarter downturn in a hundred and fifty years or something, or since records began essentially. Like it was like a twenty five twenty percent. Yeah, uh, the records only began in like nineteen ninety though. Yeah, so, yeah. but I mean, essentially, it's it's like it's calamitous. It's like the worst we've ever seen, and we have to see what happens next. In the next three months, blah blah with COVID. You won't believe what happens next. We're up shit creek <laughs> with a paddle made of shit. Yes, exactly. But there is now somebody who's here to offer us a paddle from a really good perch. Um, <clears throat> as a journalist who is who's really suffering, and you know, I don't want to disparage because I do do know Mick that there are journalists who actually suffer for their craft. But, um, yes, I'm one And of them. you all must be punished, all of yeah. you, every single one, <laughs> for the crimes that you've all committed collectively. Throw, throw me into the food processor, the great mincer. <laughs> the great food, the great... Uh, the great oh, journalist oh. blender. Yeah, the great yeah. journalist blender of 2020. Yeah. Um, but Polly Vernon, writing for the Sunday Times uh, Saturday magazine, or Sunday magazine, I can never fucking remember. It was the Saturday magazine of, Sorry. it was the Saturday magazine of the Times. Yeah, Saturday Magazine of the Times um, has written what is to all of us, I think, um, a very useful, a very practical, a very in-depth guide of uh, to describe something that unfortunately I think is going to happen to quite a lot of people, which is the disappearance of sort of solid middle-class work, the fall into precariousness, um, maybe even unemployment benefits, whatever is left of those. Um, and she's written a really sobering look, and I think we should, uh, should read from it. This intro makes, made me so angry. I was going to say, she's so certainly angry. she can't have been fucking sober when writing this, right? No, not a chance. A glass, a glass of wine in hand. Oh, for sure. One so, in each hand, and then she just wrote it with her face. Doing Amy wine hands, but with like a keyboard. That's an imp- quite impressive. All right, so I'm just going to... Um, it is called Welcome to the Nouveau Broke. A strong start. Strong start. <laughs> Six months ago, Polly Vernon was a was a fan of flat whites and had a serious shopping habit and a weakness for posh candles. Now, thanks to the pandemic and a forty percent drop in income, instant coffee at home and last season's jeans are just the start of it. Last season's jeans. Oh no. Oh no. <laughs> the, the, yes. I didn't know jeans had seasons. My jeans have decades. <laughs> <laughs> 
My jeans are seasoned. Does that count? <laughs> oh. Oh. <laughs> it really doesn't. I I was already feeling ill, so that's great. <laughs> yeah, so the, the struggle is real. I think we can all establish at the outset of this that the struggle is extremely real. All right. Big news for fans of class division, snobbery, economic and cultural hierarchies within which we all exist and the ways they present themselves to the wider world. A brand spanking new socio-economic rank has revealed itself. It's box fresh, barely formed, not entirely sure what it was doing yet, but it is here. A warm welcome then to the Nouveau Broke, a financially precarious, rapidly expanding subspecies of the middle classes and direct consequence of the coronavirus crisis. I mean, like it's it's coolish. I know, I know. Like, this hot, this whole article's like got it's, that annoying, like tiny, 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 yeah, tongue in cheekness about it. But all I don't the know stuff why I she... read it like a game show host, but I... <laughs> <laughs> um, but like all the stuff that I'm pretty sure is like the rest of it as well. It's like it's all it's all stuff that's you know it's all the same shit that we're all familiar with. You know, for um, years, struggling... for decades, forever. Yeah, like you know, uh, just trying to describe like a new idea of not having much money and being reliant on uh, sporadic and unreliable sources of income and jobs and stuff yeah definitely definitely a new fucking experience new, for totally someone who is experience yeah. for for a new class or socioeconomic class yep <laughs> definitely not heard of one of those before but like in in a sense you know i'm not going to give polly any fucking credit but in a sense like she's not wrong because this is sort of the fine you know this is part of capitalism's death drive is to essentially at some point yank everybody down into the ranks of the working poor except a few um, uh, golden billionaires that have Elon Musk's skin implants uh, you know and what it, what she's describing here is a very real process of the total abandonment and catastrophic breakdown of what we once considered the middle class right this is a real thing that is genuinely occurring in the western world and pretty much everywhere else like this is a real thing but as we'll get into this it's not fucking <sighs> all right six brief months ago the nouveau broke was nothing of the kind it jostled comfortably along the middle ra middlemost rank of the country's middle earners it was never rich exactly it had no inherited money no savings to speak of and was never in a position to screw it all and take august off in the style of more affluent friends. Its retirement plan was work until senility gets me. If it had no, a night... Nice... What? No, it's fucking not. Like, it's, like it, this, 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 this lady's like in her 50s, right? Something no, like no, that. no, she's in her 30s. Um, in her 30s? <sighs> if, if, if it had a nice flat in a semi-fashionable bit of town, it knew it would probably never quite have the whole house, never mind a weekend gaff in the Cotswolds. <laughs> So just like you're already not the middle of the middle class if your mates are the people with big houses in the Cotswolds who take entire Augusts off. Yeah, I mean that's she's, not she's... the middle of the middle class. You fucking dipshit. Also, just like a total misunderstanding. Like, just does not understand that social and political capital are things that exist. As though like uh, everyone's just got mates who are like <laughs> who have like houses in the Cotswolds and shit like that. And the fact that... 
don't know. It just it just frustrates me when someone who's like had a bad few months uh, is like, oh no, where is me? I'm gonna have to spend time at my best mate's house in the Cotswolds. Like, all right, buddy. Like, uh, it's not all yeah. that. It's not that easy for a lot of people. Like, you know, like. Can I just give you a bit of background on her, right? Very yeah, quickly, like, okay, she she started out at the Guardian in her mid twenties, right? She was the youngest journalist to have a regular comment um, piece, the comment like column for G G two writing like absolute frothy bullshit right then she was at vogue then she was at the evening standard then she was at the observer for eight years where they let her launch observer woman which was a patronizing <laughs> pamphlet <laughs> observer woman is a very poor choice of words <laughs> she interviewed she interviewed like tons of people david cameron take that all these kind of people right then she was gra- then she moved to grazia where she's still editor at large of grazia is she fucking still there She's still there because I got the latest issue. Yeah, she's still at large. She's still there, and she, <laughs> she she's still at large. If you see her, do not approach her. She is dangerous. Um, Maintain. When backed into a corner, she will lash out. She has been the lead columnist for Grazia since 2010, and she is has a writing contract with the Saturday Times, which she has had since since that um, then as well. So she has had solid permanent work for 10 years and but, she still has it. But Mick, that's that's normal in media, right? Most journalists have that. Absolutely is not and I will <laughs> hunt you down and kill you if you say that again. I'd be difficult after I've thrown you into the blender. I no because I because what will happen is as I explode in the blender all the bile in me will land on you like the like the acid blood of the xenomorph so don't even try it right last thing I'll say about this is in 2015 she released the feminist classic hot feminist which oh yes I remember that this is the quote she said about it is based on a principle of non-judgment because there's enough of that already honesty about how we mess up and empowerment through looks the first, second, third, and fourth ways f- 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 wave feminists waste their time, didn't they? They should have waited for the fifth wave, the hot feminist wave, led by Polly fucking Vernon. Isn't isn't that also like basically um, what's it? That's the introduction to to Gone Girl, where uh, Rosamund Pike says, you know, the hot girl uh, eats hot dogs and burps and and is hot, but still does blowjobs or something like that's her form of feminism, right? Um, yeah, it's cool. I think it's cool girls in um, cool girls. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. What, what anyway. was it? What's it called? What's girl on a train? <laughs> I just, I just want to say, like, yeah, I, I just did a quick Google of uh, Polly Vernon and trans, and meet like the third response is uh, has been criticised for a views view on transgender issues, and it's like, I... <laughs> it's like it's so easy. Like, I don't know why I even bother sometimes. If the Nouveau Broke had regular holidays in rented European villas with a bunch of pals, because Curtsy EasyJet, it was a little bit sad about never making it to, say, Le Cyrenus, the chicest hotels in Positan. I'm assuming that's somewhere in France. Um, but still. I had to it... Google these places. I had to Google them. I have no idea. I'm an educated man. I had no idea what she was talking about. But still, it was doing fine, thank you very much. Making more than enough to furnish said flat in tasteful ways to eat organic, have a therapist, have a personal trainer. And more than able to indulge regularly in consumer weaknesses of choice, expensive bikes, Scandinavian fashion brands, affordable art, or extremely high-end optical wear. Does that mean glasses? Does that mean glasses? 
Yeah, I just uh, yeah, in case in case the listener hasn't guessed yet, this is the second go we've had at this at this article. But the 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 phrase affordable art just again just jumps out at me. Like, <laughs> I went to the affordable art fair once. Nothing <laughs> under two grand. <laughs> Oh yeah, uh, I bet I bet it was all fucking shit as well. It like was nothing so shit. I could have got better stuff when HMV Oxford Street was still open, and you could get really good posters in there. They had a wide selection of posters. Yeah, I mean, I feel I feel like you can get a lot, like a lot of this. Like I suppose it's like the mansions of art kind of stuff. Like, you can get a lot more out of say um, the al- like a poster of an album cover for a band you like. You get a lot fucking more out of that. I feel like than you can get out of some of the. I mean, tacky art that you can get for fucking two grand. Subbanksy wank. Is this where you just walk into a place and say, I want £10,000 of art, please? I want an art, yeah, pretty much. Literally fucking Zoidberg from Futurama. (laughs) But for for most people, like, fucking hell, like, this affordable art business, like, affordable art, I think for, for a lot of people, and, like, it's really not a matter of taste, but, like, affordable art is, like, that last section at Ikea where they have, like, the, the, the posters and stuff. And that's what, like, somewhere between 30 and 70 quid. That's like, that's affordable art, but like expensive bikes, Scandinavian fashion brands, and uh, uh, easy jet holidays to European villas. Like, what fucking middle class? We get it. You're fucking posh or want to be posh and have the affectations of someone who is posh. Like, (laughs) how can you be so not self aware? It's astounding to me. Well, here's the thing for me is that is that this I blame Tony Blair for this. As, as, yeah, as, me as, too. As, whatever, whatever you're going to say. <laughs> <laughs> well, like Andy Warhol said this thing where he went, "The genius of a Coke is that, like, if you're a princess and you drink a Coke, it's the same Coke that I drink, right?" And what happened, I think, with the Blair years is because lots of things were shared, like um, everybody was listening to the same music broadly, everybody was consuming the same TV broadly, and Blair was making out that everyone was middle class now. What was middle class was just went away. So people like Polly Vernon, who is lower upper class, right, definitely like nouveau reach, reach lower upper class, right, they started to go, well, I'm middle class. And the middle class is stretched out so widely that it's practically a goatsy now. You know, it's a class goatsy. We're staring to the gaping goatsy of the middle class because it doesn't make any sense. It's a meaningless thing because everybody's ah. middle class. Yeah, so shall we Shall we go back to being nouveau broke then? Yes, yes. So. All right. Uh, and so it finds itself, halfway through the oddest year anybody can remember, with all the entitlement, and boy, is there a lot of entitlement. Uh, yeah. Indeed. expectations and high-end tastes decades of decent earning and living had bestowed upon us yet with a fraction of the income required to maintain it not fully unemployed not one of the new millions now applying for universal credit or for jobs for which they're overqualified not yet how did i first come to identify this nascent rapidly developing aspect of our already class adult society why i joined it Truly, oh, for a second I am there. the nouveau broke. For a second there, I thought she was going to say, I read Karl Marx's Capital, and uh, <laughs> I took the road I'm, to I'm surprised. It's fucking, just fucking... It's... I mean, I mean, her, 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 under, her understanding of class analysis is literally just, you know... It's a uh, dog. Consumer a choice. Dog like, a better one. I mean, or, it's... But she, she is, she is a... a, a there's, 
there's a very good review of the Sex and the City 2 film by, <laughs> by okay, Mark, strong start by Mark Kermode yeah, if which you ends with him it, it's basically screaming about how they're consumerist dogs and revolution should happen sooner rather than later and that it may and that watching it made him want to sing the red stand up and sing the red flag yes uh, and it, it is, it's this. It is a, a work of genius and what Polly Vernon is is she is the bastard child of Candace whatever her name is who created Sex and the City and also Sex and the City if you watch it I, I grew up um, in, my, in my teens and early 20s I, I, I worked on the bar and gay clubs a lot and and served a lot of gay men in their in their 40s and 50s then who who were kind of very exaggerated ultra camp gay men right and when you watch sex in the city you are watching ultra camp gay men who have been transmogrified into these weird kind of like pseudo women that are in it because the way they act simulacra (laughs) yeah they they are like baudrillard would have like broken himself watching it because the signs and signifiers in it are are just they make no sense the point i'm making is that she is a disgusting consumerist for whom nothing matters but consumerism so everything is through that prism everything is through that prism and if she can't buy things she is rapidly sliding down the class scale till the point where she thinks she's going to be like that one in um lay miz who dies of consumption about after becoming a all right so so let's let's um let's then dive into what it is like for uh, for like how it's how it's gone for her and this think this this may be the section that like actually fucking tears my brain in half I've been a journalist, and certainly will do mix. Um, I've been a journalist for nearly 25 years. I've ridden out the internet and the financial crisis, getting perpetually trolled in the comments section, and oh, at least yeah. two serious <laughs> attempts at cancellation. Can I just say, the worst trolling I ever received was that someone sent a jar of human shit to an office I worked at. And wow. I was all, okay. I've also been trolled that's, by... That's committed. I've also been trolled by Russian um, like ultras, and I received death threats from a paedophile I exposed. So on the basis of some people said some nasty things to her in the comment section because her views on that year's spring-summer collections were yeah. to their taste, I really have very little sympathy for. I just, I just, I'm sorry, just, just uh, one one point of principle. I would I would like to stand up for the honest troll, which by which I mean not, not this bastardization that the media has latched onto and uh, transmogrified into like, I am an honest troll, people. by the way. <laughs> yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, absolutely. But like, the, when I, when I think troll, I think posting reams upon reams of Brendan O'Neill heads on every single piece of media that he does, like that—that's that's trolling. Good. Yeah. <laughs> everything, everything else that Mick you just described to me—that's like. No, so but the, re- but the reason I said that in in that way is yes, I think trolling is what you just said, but she is. What she's saying, yeah, yeah. I, I'm, I'm address, I'm, I'm, I'm meeting her argument on the terms she set it out. Yeah, fair enough. I mean, I, I was, my, the, what I was saying was more, more directed to what she was, what yeah, uh, yeah, she's complaining about. Um, got, got, like... got myself a few regular gigs, contacts, a book deal, a few awards. Never had to pitch to editors who came to me. Turned down as many offers of work as I accepted. You know, as you do. <laughs> You know, just the book deal, the work offers—it just comes flooding in. Why? Because whatever. Money. She started out. 
she started out on, 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 on The Guardian, day one. I started out on Pensions World magazine, and I crawled my way up from there. And I tell you this, I was delighted to get the job at Pensions World, and I'm still glad I got it, and I'm very grateful to them for giving me the job. So the notion that she's had a hard scrabble life... <laughs> Money, it had never been a driver beyond making sure that I had enough to keep pursuing the lifestyle I'd acquired. I'd been horribly in debt as a student, struggled financially into my early 20s, but ever since then, ever since my first job in journalism, I hadn't really had to think about money. It was always there. It's, I mean, it's telling, isn't as it? Ever, oh, ever, after my early 20s, everything was fine. That's pretty much what she's saying there. I mean... I am, I am 36 years old. There's a prospect because of a documentary that I'm possibly going to do and some other things that I've worked very hard that might happen that I might not be in debt not super comfortable or anything I just might not be in debt so the notion of this woman writing this article I'm surprised that I wasn't the first genuine and proven case human uh, spontaneous combustion <laughs> no, it's... <sighs> To find that this is no longer the case, that my income has been cut by 40%, that I'm earning less than I have at any point in the past 20 years, is quite a shock. I... Uh, <clears throat> I fuck me. <laughs> I still hard read, right? <laughs> <clears throat> I still have more than enough money to pay the bills and cover the mortgage, but my disposable income has just gone. I've had to sack my shrink, my physio, and my acupuncturist but hanging on to my trainer for now. Realise that I can only ever go out to dinner with the people I love enough to pay for me and whom I love enough to let them. I've had to pitch and hustle for new work, more work, and been quietly relieved we can't really go on holiday abroad because I can't afford it. And that's just for starters. I mean, that's that's just that's just being... Yeah, you like... know... On, on the on like you know roughly around thirty years old and trying to earn a living, right? Yeah, you know that's... what that's like when you lose your job and like the fucking world collapses and you're genuinely worried about you know next month's rent and utilities and and having to you know sign up to to universal credit. Well, fucking Polly knows what it's like because she had to sack her ac acupuncturist and and physio and shrink, but not her personal trainer. Yeah, it's important to know that all freelance journalists um, have two massive contracts with two very um, financially stable publications and a retinue of flunkies to do things for them. I right now am standing on my butler uh, and using him as a footstool. And later I will expect him to uh, act as a human dartboard for me from just for my joy and excitement. No, I have... A, a acupuncture is like... What, woo what for the what? best yeah i i'm just gonna sell her a reiki reading and, and like get and get her to say you need to face the wall while i just steal everything in her house and go oh had to take that stuff had very bad energy so like imagine if this were you right and like this is how you would feel if you just lost your job and like it really wasn't going out and you were worried about the rent and and now this is fucking polly how do i feel about being nouveau broke a heady combination of terrified and enlivened. Sure, it's scary. It's galling because it's no fault of my own. Traditionally, such reductions in circumstance are the consequence of something stupid and fun. 
Mick, I was just wondering how because I'm I'm not massively familiar with um with Polly. her writing. Yeah, with Polly's writing. Um, do you know what her perspective and opinion is on people who've had to go through like universal credit and people on that end of this uh end of society is? Well, the the, th- the thing about her is she's she's not one of these like hang 'em flog 'em nasty column people really. She's just more like doesn't really pay attention outside of her kind of like hot feminist bubble, bubble yeah. of like buying things. So like I've just gone to look and see what does she recently write for the Telegraph, right? Because that's going to be her darkest timeline <laughs> version, right? And so she's written. The last three things she's written for them are decoding the Melania Trump enigma, catalogues like the Argos Book of Dreams helped to shape my life and style, <laughs> the purity trials, why Natalie... Okay, so here you go. This is the, this is what she cares about. The purity trials, why Natalie Portman is the latest victim of the wokerati oh, for not being a good sake. enough feminist. And then the other thing she's written recently, something about Pippa Middleton's bottom, uh, which seems very old school uh, oh yeah that's from years ago and something about melania trump's coat so so consumerist shit basically yeah. she's just she's from just top to consum- bottom she's just a disgusting consumerist that's all she cares that's all she cares about and it's interesting you know her the only thing she's got in her twitter bio is scum media um yeah the very last thing she wrote five days ago was called masks tactical nudity and body hair okay right, okay cool if that's being, that's where if, she comes from. If being nouveau bro- nouveau broke keeps me up at night, it also fills me with purpose in the day. I get to ditch the ego, dismiss concerns about how I'm perceived and by whom, who is more successful, and focus instead on new ways to turn a buck. There is honesty to it, authenticity, edge. I mean, I wish, is... I, I wish I wish she'd do something like cool about trying to ditch her ego by taking like massive quantities of LSD or something because I feel like that might would give her some more perspective on literally anything other than buying useless shit. I think she should do what Brian Wilson did when he wanted to get rid of his ego, which is put a massive sandpit in the middle of her house <laughs> with a piano in it and then write pet sounds. But <laughs> but this but I mean you're right, Mick. This is again this is like the this is the Sex in the City thing. This is just this is being poor or her perception of poor or whatever the fuck this is this is just another outfit this is just something to 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 try on you know like the the new season economic look has authenticity edge and wears very well with uh last season jeans well uh, here's here's a okay cracking and a horrible confession i've seen pretty much every episode of sex and city thanks thanks to a previous partner who who watched it and i and i would watch it with her and whatever some bits of it are quite sure, funny that's fine, but anyway but- yeah, but anyway, the point being, there's a there's a part of that where where Carrie um, it, uh, gets um, together with this guy who's a woodworking guy, right? And and, that, and she's very interested in that because it is rough and raw and authentic, same as this, right? And Polly Vernon, I guarantee you, sits at her um, extremely expensive, probably the latest MacBook, and she and she probably often thinks to herself, and I wondered to myself, like Carrie Bradshaw does in every episode of that, I wondered to myself, is this a new trend? Or have we always been somewhat nouveau broke? And it's like, you're not, you know, you're walking around the world with your little purse and your tiny dog, the dog that's so small you could put it in the little purse. And you just think, that's, that's his perfection to her. So yeah, this is fun. And at the end of this article, sorry to do spoilers, but fuck it. She quotes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there's, there's fashion tips. She quotes from common people. <laughs> yeah, she does. 
And the thing, the thing is, what has always been the case is right. The working class of in Britain have always kind of wanted to do better for themselves, and the upper classes have always wanted to play at being poor. It's why Lady Chatterley's Lover was a big hit because it's the notion of an upper class woman being ravaged by a working class man. It's why. It's why Jarvis Cocker ended, write, ended up writing common people because, you know, he was at St. Martin's and he did meet this woman who genuinely found it fascinating that he didn't have money. And these people don't understand that money to them is tokens. Right. And you always have tokens and you can always play in the fairground. But to a lot of us, the fairground is just a cold chain link fence that you put your nose through and you watch them having fun. And you think, how can I get tokens to get into the fairground? I've had more honest conversations about money with more friends over the past few weeks than I have had at any other time in my life. There is no latitude for or point in being embarrassed about this or sidestepping it or pretending to be richer than I am. Furthermore, she pretends to be poorer than she is all the time. Furthermore, there is comradeship in discovering others are in the same situation. I can, I'm relieved to talk about it openly. Above all, it's motivating, this sort of uncertainty. Keeps you on your toes. Motivating! That's certainly one way of describing it. Yeah, <laughs> you know, you know those people, like those 120, 140,000 people that died extra due to austerity. You know that fucking uh, poor woman that, that died this week, literally emaciated, um, that was found because she was literally, she had no more food and she starved in Britain. You know, the natural consequence she was just motivated. The natural consequence of the of the hostile environment, you know, not a not a not a side effect, but a, a, de- a desired end game. Yeah. truly. Yeah, the, cruel, the cruelty is the point, and I mean the the idea that the the idea that the cruelty is the point is never going to enter her little bubble, is it? It is just a completely alien concept that things are deliberately shit for people who aren't her specifically. At the people's tribunals that eventually happen. <laughs> I'm sure you'll make it a spirited defence of your case. <laughs> I will be raising, as part of my prosecution of her, the use of the word comrade. Yes. <laughs> In the same way that these people use words like solidarity, because they have, particularly solidarity, particularly people who couldn't pronounce Lequilensa, let alone spell it, saying the word solidarity and saying the word comradeship, these words have meanings. You know, they're not just like a branding for your startup, although I'm sure someone will start a startup called Comrade, which will be about oh a co-working no, with Soviet no, branding. No, you're not oh, lathing no. this in but these words, No lathe of heavens allowed in this episode. These words have value and meaning, yeah, and they and mean history. something. <laughs> and class solidarity is something that we need to recapture, and comradeship is something that we have to recapture. And when people like her use that in just this, this laissez-faire manner, it's like, no, actually... That means something to some of us, you know. That it, it, it's a signifier of something that is much more valuable than a new fucking handbag. All right. So, who wants to learn uh, the rules for the new the new rules for the new nouveau broke? Oh, I'm not going to go through all of them because, quite frankly, there's too many, and this is a. I'll ha- I'll you do want to give me a full breakdown? <laughs> I don't, this I really is the don't. second time I've had to do this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah that, that that can go in the fucking director's cut. Jesus Christ! All right. Pre-corona middle class. In the this is about food, getting terribly het up because you've just discovered your artisanal coffee shop switched oat milk brands without telling you. And sure, it swears the new one is organic, but tell that to your metabolism. Nouveau broke. Work on the basis of three cups of Nescafe to every coffee shop flat white. 
Make the savings of your keep cup count. Keep on top of your loyalty card, admin. I like. I do like <sighs> how she's she's the thread of this entire article has just been consumerist bollocks, and literally both the pre-corona and nouveau broke elements of this point are the exact same thing. <laughs> it's like it's no of... different. It's just like different different branding. That's literally all it is. Also, like, can you you could just you know even in your pre-fucking corona days. Take the c- goddamn cup anyway. Like, stop just polluting the environment because you can't stop consuming. Jesus Christ. Like, I know it's like a small tangent, but it's just like these little things. It's just the, the little things. It's like, oh, also, it doesn't mean that I'm too broke to actually stop going to Starbucks. That, like, I'm actually, you know, as, as Mick, you were talking about, I can't meet my friends at Starbucks or I can't do something or other. It's just like, no, I can't just, you know. Have every coffee from Starbucks. I'll have to have some at home instead. <laughs> just. Ah, mm. you know, you know Galactus, right? I'm a big fan. These people are like, like the way they consume is a bit like Galactus, right? And only they're trapped on the one planet, and they just can't stop just feeding themselves with with if it's not food and it's not drink and it's not ludicrously expensive food and drink as well or taking things like a burger which is like a good honest working class food and turning it into like this elaborate thing with gold leaf on it that's the thing i get pr releases about a lot we've made the world's most expensive burger and it's like that burger yeah it's not not actually as good good as a nice (laughs) burger it's covering anyway these people are like galactus they just gobble constantly right they just work they just consume 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 and when they die like I was reading a thing, and I can't remember who said it, but like someone said, oh, what's your big regret as a person who's dying? And he was like, oh, I, I, I wish I'd had more sex, right? Their thing would be, I wish I had consumed even more. I Give wish I more. had... I am Mr. Cretius. Give me another minute. I wish I had explore. more affordable art on my Norwegian walls. Mr. Creosote, sorry. Yeah, Give me another mint and it'll fucking explode. <laughs> oh, if only. I All mean... Right. So you know, like how it can sometimes be really difficult when you're faced with challenges um, at work and and you really stress out about money. Well, this is uh, the the pre-corona middle class versus the nouveau broke uh, about emotional well-being. Pre-corona middle class wonder about your sleep patterns. Everybody knows if you don't get eight hours a night every night, you can be on the fast track to premature skin aging and cancer. But so far, nothing's helped. Not a drop of lavender oil, not a drop or three of CBD oil, not even the white noise app. Instagram advertising a weighed blanket at you. What the fuck is that? But you're concerned that that might respark your claustrophobia. I just uh, on the on the weighted blanket point. Those are actually really good for people who have you know actual Genuine anxiety. anxiety. Yeah, actual that's anxiety. What they were for. Okay. Yeah, now that's who they're designed for. Them. Not not this like faux anxiety about getting enough fucking sleep in the first place. Like, is, uh... how do the new faux broke, i.e., you know, the perfectly still comfortable with many existing contracts, um, but just less shoes. <laughs> Uh, alternate nights of lying awake while worst case scenarios, possible options on retraining spin around your brain and sleeping slate through because you're so very tired. I mean, this is this is the closest she seems. Yes, (laughs) it's the closest she's come so far to like actually experiencing something who something that someone who is um struggling actually goes through. Like, yeah. Uh, Although I doubt, I doubt. Go on. You know those body swap films, like like the eighties ones, or the one, or like Big, where t- Tom Hanks gets turned into a child, right? No, the child gets turned into Tom Hanks, right? They, I wish there was a way that I could get her to touch a cursed amulet, and she 
her body was switched with the body of a worker in a in a in a, in a, in a mobile phone factory, right? The, Where they yeah. have suicide nets uh, because it's basically a city that you never leave. And uh, the suicide rate, though Apple assures us it's the same suicide rate as the rest of China, terrifying as you see your colleagues regularly just off themselves because it's just too much to work in this hell viciously just having to hammer together these cell phones. I wish she could be transferred to there and have to spend one day there and then talk about being so very tired. Alright. I'm I'm gonna do one more and then we're gonna stop reading this article because I think we're all fucking yeah, I think it's, uh, it's melting this is literally melting Rob's brain for everyone at home. Like he's really been struggling to get through these and I do not blame this him. This is fucking this is under the lifestyle section, right? Because the, I mean the whole thing's about fucking lifestyle because as we've said this is just a cheap suit that somebody's trying on um pre-corona middle class finding elaborate excuses to justify privately educating your your children to your left-leaning friends nouveau broke whacking the kids in the local comp discovering it's really inclusive oh fucking hell (laughs) i mean Mm. imagine you would have to go to the school that everyone else's kids have to go to imagine it's it's almost unthinkable almost unthinkable I do wonder who like uh, this this lady's left like left leaning friends are like it, uh, James O'Brien. Because, yeah, oh my, oh my god, yeah, that's the kind of that's the kind. I mean, it's the exact same shit things the BBC shit. But they think left wing is anyone who isn't a literal you know died in the wall Tory slash um, fucking Brexit party slash UKIP slash BNP member or whatever. Like it's always perplexes me that left-leaning means someone who questions literally anything about the society that we live in the idea that maybe it's not a good idea to have private edu- like privately educate your children because it'll just turn them into fucking mutants uh, and it's just like also like the surprise it's 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 oh i i went i didn't send my children to the private school and i wandered into the pop zone and what did you know they're human beings there yeah, hey, it's 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 like it's like when Sting made that song, uh, uh, the uh, Russians, and and the chorus was, "Do the Russians love their children too?" And he was trying to be all clever and be like, you know, oh, it's about it, it's about the sense of like, yes, we must see the humanity in other people. But I think a lot of people who listen to Sting thought, yeah, do the Russians love their children? And then Polly Vernon would she sit there and think, well, that's an interesting question. Do Ru- Russians have emotions? <laughs> <laughs> the protagonist of the universe. <laughs> oh yeah, you're right. That's that is lit. It's the uh, the protagonist thing is oh, she's she's the protagonist in her own sex in the city and the city in the city and the city, whichever one it is. And the city is London this time. That's that's it. That's we've cracked it, guys. Well done. We can just turn the podcast off now. <laughs> it's yeah. It's really. It's I. I think there's one more point we need to cover. Just one. You go on. You can do it. I'm, I can't do this anymore. I'm in pain. So she she lists um, four people she thinks are icons of Nouveau Broke. And they're all bullshit, but the most bullshit of the last, of the lot is, we'll go with the last, that works too, um, is Rishi Sunak. <laughs> Married to a billionaire's daughter, senior government, you know. Went to, pub, went to public school. Something stupid like that. Went to public school. Literally the richest MP in Parliament. Also, I mean, she's oh, uh, she's ironically eating at Weatherspoons. 
I mean, the, the question I have is that it says, like, so in, in the actual text, it says, Rishi Sunak, Chancellor of the Exchequer. Unless he isn't hard to tell. I, I don't know how to pass that with my feeble brain. I'm quite sure what that's supposed to be. Anyone, anyone know what the answer to that question is? Because I don't. What does she say? She says, unless he isn't. Hard to tell. Yeah, that's, and that's what, what, it. That... I think either it's really racist. No, no. I, I think this is, I think this is something to do with austerity. I think it's a bad joke. No, I, I think she means, oh, I tell, no, I know. I tell you what it is. I remember now from reading the original article. It, what she means is maybe he's like in it with us because he's done this stuff to like nominally help people or maybe he's just going to be like a bastard again. That's what she means. I wonder which written. it's going to be. <laughs> I don't know. I, 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 the people who eat, you know, the, the leopards who eat people party uh, has let me down again. Uh, this feels like very much like a James O'Brien thing, where he's put constantly bewildered by the fact that Tories are fucking Tories and will do Tory shit, like you know, uh, have to have their arms absolutely twisted up their backs before they even consider giving poor kids food over the summer. Like that's constantly a surprise to this kind of person. I feel like she's in that kind of milieu. The tawdriness of this, this pop safari, this let's try on the dress of being poor. Let's try. You know, there's some another fucking reference in this piece about having to re-wear last season's jeans and, and maybe cut them up into shorts. It's all just like, it's completely consequence-free. This woman is completely isolated from the real effect of of poverty, of indigence, of disease, of, of having your life be turned fucking inside out and upside down. And, and she knows it, and it's just an affectation. And the worst thing, I really hate it, because like, when we began this 3,000 years ago, you know, we were talking about there is genuinely a giant recession and people are going to get fired and universal credit is a fucking living nightmare um, and, and is killing people and there are emaciated refugees dying in Britain. And to this class of people who are nominally journalists and whatever, you can write about froth, I don't care, like have the G2 magazine on, not or whatever, it's cool. Like... It's all just an affect. It's all something that you know that in, in a little while you can just fucking go back and giggle over and have a little joke about with your friends and then, you know, say, oh, I'm really woke now because, you know, I ate peanut butter for a day. It's just like, fuck off! <laughs> I think, like, um, I, I remember seeing earlier today a story of a woman who's so, um, like, so hard up that she's hoping that she can feed her uh, two kids and herself with three slices of bread a day by dipping them in water and sugar. Like, there is no world in which this woman even approaches understanding that level of poverty. It's just complete. It's a completely alien thing to her. And like, if she if she encountered it, she'd make it about herself, about how traumatic it was for her to. Yeah. Oh my. She would, wouldn't she? Like, it was so hard for me having to see someone be this poor near me. Like. Yeah, and I thought to myself, how could I help her? And then I thought, really, would it be helpful for me to help her, or would it really just be like that that give a man a fish thing? So I thought instead of giving her a fish, I would just keep the fish and write to raise awareness of how she doesn't have a fish. I, w- I She would. She would start a. a um a poverty awareness charity where weirdly enough she's being paid like 200k a year to chair three meetings oh 
I mean, that's just that's just the pipeline, isn't it? Like, I mean, especially now that Jeremy Corbyn's not leader of the Labour Party, you can just do shit like that. Uh, well, you will be able to do shit like that. It's just, uh, damn, these people sure are poor. Wish someone would do something about it. Hey, why don't you at home? Why don't you do something about it? See you later. And then you drive off in your fucking Mercedes, whatever. And then that's it. You've done your job. For that's that's uh, that shows that you're a progressive, left-leaning person. Yep. Yeah. Well, good work, everyone. Good work, everybody. Speaking of uh, progressive left-wingism, shall we do comment or commentary yet? Because <laughs> we haven't blown up Rob's brain enough yet. I promise this time, because in the in the lost episode, I cheat. <laughs> I basically knew the answers for most of them, so I'm going to try. <laughs> yeah, you've cheated by reading the bloody news and yeah. listening to the news, whereas uh, the rest of us are blissfully unaware. What you mean is by giving myself a serious mental condition by reading every <laughs> single horrible thing published on the internet no no but i mean i've also if we, you know in in failed recording i did say this and i will say again i have a genuine respect for you because like me and david tend to sort of share duties of co- of doing the research or common or commentaria which takes us between like 20 and 45 minutes per episode to like find some good material and it is yeah, I read about two hours worth of this stuff every single day. It is, it. I mean, it is genuinely, you see sides of the human psyche and you read people who are either completely disingenuous, full of shit, or who are so self-obsessed and sitting in a corner and just like being genuinely con- content to, to, to wish death on people who don't want to sing Land of Hope and Glory and... and who would genuinely, like, I'm not sure all of them would sign up to fight in the SS, but, like, I'm sure of them, half of them would join the party, and the other half would, you know, cheer on the sidelines during Kristallnacht. Well, it's, it's like that t- that quote, though, isn't it, that gets shared quite often about the fact that the best party, or the best Nazis were the quiet neighbours who never really did anything before it, and that they just sort of acquiesced to going, oh, well, I guess now we're all Nazis. I mean, just, yeah. Anyway, comment uh, or commentary. Shall we crack on? <laughs> yeah. Speaking of Nazi propaganda, here we go. All right, uh, round one. Mick, you go last. Um, okay, fine, fine. I know several tradesmen that have tried taking an apprentice on. They've nearly all given up. Too many of the I want it now generation just don't want to put the miles in. Comment or commentary. Uh, oh, this is so hard because I can mm-hmm. absolutely see this both be in the comments section and some bird brain having actually written an article about this. But I feel like, I feel like just from the way that's written, I feel like that's a comment. So I'm going to go with comment. I'm going with James. comment as well. Comment, okay. Mick's going to show us all up. No, I feel like that's a comment. It, it that sounds like. Um, members of my family who are like plumbers or electricians sort of thing they would say uh, it is actually a comment it comes from the BBC website well done uh, one point. <laughs> <laughs> to everybody <laughs> round two the People's Republic of Islington spiritual home of new labour oh, has sake. gone berserk the streets look like a crazy golf course litters with chicanes bollards planters humps cameras metal barriers you name it anything to harass motorists <laughs> Once free-flowing roundabouts have been shut permanently and pedestrianised, and traffic lights have been reprogrammed to favour cycle routes and largely empty buses. <laughs> the, the core programming behind traffic lights has been ch- been changed specifically <laughs> in favour of cyclists. The AI behind the fucking fucking traffic lights is going to rise up to protect the protect the cyclist class. <laughs> uh. 
Uh, I'm oh, that that feels insane enough to be a column. I've, I'm going to go with commentary out for that one. I think. Yeah, I'm going to have to agree with you. It does sound slightly too something for a comment. Mick, you may know who this is. Yeah, it's commentary out, and it's Richard L- Little John in the <laughs> yes, exactly. It is Richard Little. I felt I, I, I did get, I did feel like it was Daily Mail, but I wasn't sure. It felt like that kind of thing. I mean, can I just say, like, while doing all this bullshit for comment or commentary, in a weird way, it was kind of refreshing. A very sort of traditional, you know, puce face. Fuck the gammon, cyclists. Some you know motorist first bullshit. It's just like, oh, that still exists. That's oh, kind of pleasant. the good old days. <laughs> Uh, how very 2006 of you, I guess. <laughs> All right, round three. <coughs> Civil service fascism is the chief medical officer driven public health policy that has characterized the COVID affair. This is policy making by an in group public sector of experts, not elected politicians. Fauci esque, they strut the stage as stars at endless press conferences, claiming a platform that far exceeds their expertise. Well, first of all, can we can we start off with saying but fascism in the civil service would involve ejecting all of the Jews from the civil service, so I think that might be a slight mischaracterization. Um oh, that's gotta be that's gotta be a comment. No oh comment. I'm gonna go with commentary. I'm gonna go with comment. Is it bad if I know again who this is? Cause <laughs> if you know who this is, I would be that would be a feat. I know the publication All right. because I read this piece, but I don't know the person. Which one's the publication? It's Conservative wim- Woman. <laughs> Rob does love his Conservative Woman. God damn it, it is Conservative Woman. <laughs> and it's a bloke writing for them, but I don't yes, know who he is. Yes, it is. It's Paul Collett. <laughs> is it my fault that you're really Conservative Woman now? No, no. <laughs> I have it on the RSS reader, and I happen to have read that one. I thought I, I thought me and David were the only people who read that, apart from some insanely berserk gamut. I've had to debate the editor of that once, and she's really quite something. I can well imagine. Uh, all right, round four. Forgive my cynicism, but this is the old hegemony game of giving little and taking a lot. They give you rule Britannia and land of hope and glory, while taking away all hope and erasing any glory the country may have had in its history. So distract no no. So distracted and happy are the people to kowtow to the masks and the vaccine that they think they have won. These people cannot fucking stand the fact that they've won. They cannot believe that they they they're a fucking dog that's caught the car. They don't know what to do with themselves. They're fucking chasing their tails, trying to find something to get mad about, despite the fact that they literally have a hegemony in the political, like essentially, like the like the judiciary and oh, just they've already won and they don't know what to do with that. Yes. It's just insane to me. How can you look at the country that we fucking live in and the one tiny vestige that isn't just literal, proper, like, Nazi propaganda at this point is, like, BBC's light entertainment and that's fucking it? <laughs> like, oh, Christ. Oh, oh I... <laughs> Commentaria, I guess. I don't, even, I don't even know anymore. I'm going comment. It seemed a bit too rabid something. Mick? 
I think it's a comment because I think um, editors cut out the word hegemony in most publications. Ah, okay. Certainly right-wing ones would. What? Oh, well, because that would be too self-aware, would it? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it would get into the New Statesman, but it wouldn't get into the specy. Alright, it is a comment, and it came from conservative woman. <laughs> <laughs> oh, All right. fuck's sake. <laughs> um, round five, which is the last round, and then I have a little treat for you. Like a genuine little treat, which I think you will all uh, find funny. Um, all right, round five. I'm so tired of programs on Radio 4 in which Yusuf laments... Yep, me too. <laughs> I'm so tired of programs on Radio 4 in which Yusuf laments the facts that being one-legged and 19 stone cruelly disqualifies him from being a ballet dancer, <laughs> oh. which is evidence for discrimination, apparently. It's a commentary, act, isn't it? I don't know where. It's got to be commentary. Mick, you have the like. We're not even. We're not even like face to face. But you have the worst poker face of all time. <laughs> I'm, so, I'm sorry, but you have a terrible. Voice I know for who poker. this person is. I really don't like this person. I this so person I hate who this I've person. met. Who have I've you met, met? And I really hate. Yeah, several times, and I really dislike her intensely. Yeah, do you want the answer? Yeah, gone. Who is it? Well, it's Alice. It's Alison Pearson. It's Alison <gasps> Pearson. Yesterday in the day. Oh, yes, fucking Alison Pearson. Who's who's <sighs> swiftly rising up the fucking ranks of the of of comment or commentary at. But I did want to give you like after all this shit, I did want to leave you with a little treat, and it comes from the same article. But it's just like you know how, especially like the the conservative pundits, really sort of reveal their ass over and over again, and like just show off so badly their insecurities um and this is in the paragraph i think following the the awful bit about use of the ballet dancer um along with millions of others i'm sick of being told that my middle england center-right views are unacceptable unacceptable sick of some no 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 wait for it this is sick of something i tweeted being savaged by nish kumar on the astounding <laughs> unfunny match report <laughs> I mean, I mean, it is right. Like the mash report is kind of shit. I mean, yes. like Nish Kumar's good, right? But it's pretty bad overall. But, I mean, yeah. I mean, fucking. But it's just Jeff literally fucking saying, like Tory cop. Just like cancel the BBC because Nish Kumar did a joke about oh, my pe- fucking people. But remember, me on Twitter. remember that Alison Pearson wrote a whole column about how GCSEs were broken. Because her son didn't oh, get yes. the grade in GCSE drama he should have got. Also remember that she wrote a column attacking the X Factor after her daughter didn't get through on the X Factor. So did the, the, the woman uses it as a bully pulpit in the most extreme ways? It's not surprising to me that she's screaming I'm not owned as she slowly corn cobs <laughs> in a column. <laughs> I just, I love that so much. I love that just like giant tell on her forehead. It's so good. It's right. Like... I just, I just want to add one small thing. It's just like, right. I know I said earlier that I don't know why I bother with Twitter, but this, this is why I bother with Twitter because <laughs> fucking children who clearly have nothing better to do with their time get extremely mad that the one venue through which members of the public can call you a shithead dick face. And like you not be able to do anything about it. It's just the one the one glimmer of light, you know, that we have I feel like that we have in not like the right of reply of the general public. 
Yeah, I mean, that's what they want. Like, that's why, why they're all crying about the whole woke thing, apart from the usual culture war. It's just like, these people cannot stand it that, like, one of the few good things that the social media bullshit has brought us is that it has dragged them down to our stupid level where we can make fun of them and ruin their little polls. And they, they, they've won, as you said, Alistair, like, they've won, you know. Congratulations, the press is 90, 95, 99% Tory. There's an 80 seat majority in the House of Commons. The House of Lords is, is full of fucking vampires and Andrew Lloyd Webber. Like, you've but won. you repeat yourself. You know, the, like, you've, you've won. And all you want to do is just piss and moan that somebody did a tweet. <laughs> that's, I mean, that's all they've got, right? They've got nothing else it. to complain about, I guess. All that. They don't know how to do anything except to complain. Well, it's been one episode. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, oh. uh, I, 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 love, I love to have my brain melted by stupid fucking magazine articles. It's very, uh, yeah. Um, Thanks for your uh, uh, efforts in the take mind. <laughs> yeah, Mick included as yeah, well. Yeah, right? yeah. For, your, for your very helpful annotations. Yeah. And I think that's the first time I ever actually got them all right. Yeah, that's a good... <laughs> I'm not sure that's a good thing, but hey. Well, I mean, we said at the beginning of the year that we were, like, going to uh, record the correct answers and, like, do a thing at the end of the year, but... Uh, we never Jim... bothered. No, I that's not going to fucking also, happen. <laughs> but also, Jamie's been inside the score sheet, so... Jamie's got hold of it, has he? <laughs> ah, anyway, uh, cheers, Mick, for uh, coming on. You want to do some plugging and stuff? Sure. Um. Yeah. Just, just broken bottle boy on Twitter, where I um analyze the newspapers every single morning. Yeah, it's a profile. They're really good, folks. And uh, if you like that, um, I do a newsletter called Conquest of the Useless, which is a media sort of newsletter which comes out most days around sometime before seven a.m. because I I wake up screaming at the state of media in the world. Uh, and you can subscribe to that for free on brokenbottleboy.substack.com. But if you want to sign up and pay money, you can pay like five pounds a month and you get some extra stuff. And, uh, you know, it makes it less likely that I have to debase myself towards the commissioning editors who will just give the work to Polly Berman anyway. Yeah, and it means you'll be able to debase yourself by coming on our podcast. Oh, I'd uh, come, come on again any time. Uh, I want it because because the, the, the Jason Statham uh, oh, yes. based episode needs to be made. We invite everybody still listening to debase themselves and face the bloodshed, and uh, have a have a good day. <laughs> Goodbye. Cheers. Bye bye. <laughs> <laughs>